series on faith. And we're going to be looking at the offering of faith. Uh, And we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 again. So if you could stand with me, we'll read together Hebrews 11, 4. Hebrews 11, chapter 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would awaken us to the reality of your kingdom, the reality of your purposes for us, the reality of your person and how we are to relate to you and through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to talk about how the offering of faith is rightly motivated, it's remarkable, and it's remembered. We start this verse off, and it says very clearly that by blank... Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now, I leave that blank because the reality is that we we just read it, and so we know that faith is the thing that goes in the blank. But as I've been trying to highlight in this series, oftentimes we fill in the place of faith with the place of other things. Oftentimes we take this gap and we fill it with our own strength, we fill it with our own ideas, we fill it with our own sacrifice, we fill it with our own hopes, we fill it with our own desires, we fill it with our own ideas. By perseverance or by endurance or by by even even other things like you know sometimes it's humility. Sometimes it's really good things. It's it you know it's not just bad things that we put in the gap, but sometimes it's 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 by it's by humble service. It's by a lot of different things. And but that's not the thing that captured God's attention and made the sacrifice more acceptable. The thing that made the sacrifice more, more acceptable, the thing that made the, the, off, the, the sacrifice something that was pleasing to God is that it was offered in faith. And family, sometimes what we do is we get into a rut and we get into a groove where we're walking along and we're doing the things out of obligation. It's not by obligation abled, offered. It's not by obligation that Abel showed up at church on Sunday morning or joined a small group or joined a facilities team. It wasn't by obligation that he gave during the offering or that through obligation that he helped, he helped uh, provide meals for somebody in need. It wasn't through obligation that he prayed or read his Bible or parented his kids or disciplined his children. But it was by faith. Faith is, is the thing that is the catalyst to the works that makes them pleasing. The works by themselves are, they can be good and they can be satisfying and they can be, they can be generous and, and wonderful, but without faith being the thing that pr- primarily pushes it out to occur, it's, it's, it's just another thing. It's just another thing. So we, you know, I, I know this has been a, a really convicting uh, series for me because I consider all the things that I do because they're good or they're on my calendar. And I think about all the things I give to because, because I know that it should be a priority. But I forget, I forget to pray. You know, my, my tithe is, is, just beyond a tithe is on automatic giving. 
right? In an effort not to be a, a Pharisee, I said it just above a tithe, thereby proving I was a Pharisee. Yeah. <laughs> and I said it on automatic so I don't have to think about it. And so even though I had faith in that moment, I'm not necessarily having faith in, you know, when it gives. I'm like, oh, yeah. So I get the notification now through push pay. I appreciate the technology. It keeps me faithful. But it sends me a thing and it's like, hey, we took the money because you would have forgotten anyway. <laughs> right? Anybody else? I'm just talking about my life. I am. I, I really am. I'm not saying anything about any of you all. I'm really talking about me. But it's like I get the email and it's like I, I forget to even have faith. And, and so what I'm trying to do as a result of this, of this series is pause then and, and, and pray. And be like, you know what, God? I ask that you would multiply the little that I was able to give. You know what, God? The community needs to hear the gospel. I ask that you would stir our hearts and that these resources would be given to things and would go to things that cause the gospel to be shared across the nations. God, that's what I want to happen as a result of my giving. God, as a result of my giving, I ask that the building space wouldn't just be a space that's used to, to meet in or to do paperwork in or to check things off in. It, it, all an office space is do is produce more work. That's all it does. And we got this classroom that we can use, but, but it, unless, unless our hearts, unless God changes our hearts, then giving to this space that's just there isn't going to accomplish the mission that God's called us to do, which is to be and make disciples who make disciples. And so it's, I believe that it's the faith that made it pleasing. It wasn't any of the other things. And this is why I believe that it wasn't, that, that it wasn't anything else. It wasn't the amount that he gave. And, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a minute. But we, I, I don't think it's the amount that he gave because there's this woman who gives this little tiny offering in the sight of Jesus many years later. And she gives this little tiny offering. And, and Jesus looks at his disciples and he goes, that is impressive to me. Not because she gave a lot. Not because she was hosting a barbecue. She was giving a little bit in faith. And that was pleasing to God himself. There are also places where God rejects an offering. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, he says this. He says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. From these people at that time. So I'm not saying love God instead of sacrificing. We'll get there in just a minute. He's rebuking them. He's correcting them. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's like, I want you to know me and love me, not go through the motions of giving just because you know that it's a good thing to do. By this time, when, when Abel gave, there was no law, there was no ordinance for giving yet. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But he offered in faith, not knowing what God had expected. Uh, well, again, in just a minute. But he says, I desire love and, and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than the burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There, they dealt faithlessly with me. God's not interested in the offering of not faith. He's interested in the offering of faith. And as we have faith and as we trust God with not just our things, but our lives, not just our lives, but our futures, not just our futures, but the generations, those who come after us, as we trust God with all of those things in faith, the things that we do become offerings. Now, earlier this, this series, I defined faith as acting on what you know about God in the midst of whatever situation that you're in. 
There's this idea that faith has to be blind, which means that we have to make up whatever it is that it, that it needs to be. And there are a lot of people that have a very big problem. Uh, secularists and atheists will say, well, you just created, I could create a flying spaghetti monster and then trust everything in him, except for you're admitting that you created the flying spaghetti monster. The life of faith acts on what we know about God already. Now, I don't know what Abel knew. I don't know what Cain knew about God at this point. We do know that they both knew enough that they felt compelled to come and give an offering. In certain time, Cain came and then Abel also gave. Maybe not in that order. I don't know. But they came and they gave these offerings to God because they knew something about him. And they knew that they had to respond to him by sacrificing something to him. Cain's offering of grain. Abel's offering of a barbecue. And they came and they offered these things up to God. And one was pleasing to him and the other, the other wasn't. But on the basis of what they know about God. Now, now what would they know about God? Well, their mom and dad walked with God. In the garden. And God made these, gave them this extraordinary task of cultivating the garden, just like, just like Scott was talking about earlier today. Gave them the extraordinary task of being fruitful and multiplying and carrying the dominion and the righteousness of God throughout the face of the earth. And that was, that was their primary responsibility. And then, and then they, they stumbled on that responsibility and they, and they got distracted by pride. And the one thing God told them not to do, they did anyway. And they got kicked out of the garden. And God set the fire angel at the, at the boundary of, of Eden and said, you can't, you can't come here. You're going to live a cursed life of difficulty. Yeah. So Adam and Eve had that experience. And now they would, have, they would have told their kids about this. Hey, guys, God was so good to us. There was this garden. I, I, wish, you, I wish if only they pulled out the family album. It was empty because they didn't have cameras. And they just, they just had to show them pictures of nothing. Maybe they sketched them in rocks. They pulled the tablet out. That's dad's best drawing of the dinosaurs that were there. Or not there. Whatever. This is my story. And so they and so they told, but they would have told their kids. But God was so good to us, and He had this. He provided for us, and He said not to do this, but we did it anyway. Yeah. And because God is righteous, and because He's faithful, and because He can't lie, He had to kick us out. But He promised that one day, one day, one would come and redeem us. And so he makes this promise, but they would have heard Adam and Eve talking about it and they talked to their kids about it. They, they saw him. They saw the work of God evident in front of them. We call it general revelation from the book of Romans. We learn that all we have to do is basically see a tree and we can become aware of the evidence of God. I, I met with a man recently who, um, who said, I said, do you believe in God? He said, yeah. I said, well, when did you come to believe in God? He said, when my son took his first breath, I came to believe in God. And he goes, my son stretched and, and he went from breathing amniotic fluid to breathing oxygen. And I thought there must be a God. And, and he woke up to that re, he woke up to the reality that there's a God. Now we, I, I'll preach a little bit right now and say there, that, uh, that another son was born and he was stretched out too. So we couldn't just know about God, but we could know God and we could relate to him. And that one who was stretched out for us, his name is Jesus, and we'll talk more about him later. I just got really excited. So, (laughs) 
But when we give in faith, so they knew enough that they were going to give. Now, here's the thing about offering in faith. And here's the thing about doing anything in faith is that when we do anything in faith, it puts us in the position where if God isn't actually real, if he actually isn't true, if he actually isn't loving, if he's not actually faithful, then we are foolish. And the life of faith leads us to that place where we're doing things in faith and expectation that God is all of those things. But if he's not, then we'll look a little foolish. It's a little foolish to to carve time out of your your week to come and, and worship and sing songs. It's a little foolish to give of your resources and it to an organization that says that God exists. That he lives and that he has a plan for you and he's got a purpose for you. If, if not, then, then we are to be counted as fools. Paul said, if no resurrection, then we're all to be counted foolish. But faith puts us in that position where we act in faith and we do things according to God's purpose and God's plan as we understand it, as outlined in scripture and through our relationship with him. And now I'm not saying you just go out and do something crazy because you feel like God told you to. If you, if you got diabetes and you're taking insulin and you feel like God healed you, come talk with somebody. We'll pray with you, but go talk to your doctor about it. Okay. So, Hey, I believe that I'm healed from this thing. Is can, is there any way we could try this out? Is there any way we could lessen the medicine? Is there any way we can do this? Because I'm expecting that God has changed this in 2007. I had viral meningitis. And so I was having headaches and I, they just, I, I couldn't move. I was on Dilaudid, which is like morphine's older cousin. It's mean and just lives on the streets. Dilaudid does. And so I'm on this thing and and so I'm on Dilaudid and I'm on these other, these anti-seizure medicine because I, it caused me to go like this. For I couldn't control it. And then one morning, Megan and I woke up in the middle of the night and we prayed and we cried out to God. And I woke up the next morning and I felt like my body had been washed with water and I felt completely clean and I felt healed. And so in that moment, I was like, we need to talk to the doctor. And so talked to the doctor said, hey, I think I'm healed. I think God healed me through prayer and I would love to stop taking the medicine. And the doctor's kind of like, well, do you understand what will happen? If you stop taking the medicine, in this case, it would just be pain and shaking. And I'm like, I can handle those, those symptoms. He goes, great. Just keep the medicine with you in case it happens again, take them and come back in and we'll make sure no, no damage was done. And it's never happened since. So, so if you believe that God did something, don't just run off and do it. Right. So if you believe that God healed your marriage, you know, like you don't just go in and be like, our marriage is better. Because your spouse needs that same message. (laughs) And you might have to change your behavior for a little bit to prove to your spouse that everything's changed. You might have to do some dishes and you might have to drive some things. You might have to vacuum some cars. You might have to go to the car. You might have to clean the basement. You might have to do some stuff. (laughs) To participate in that healing that you heard about from God. Because it doesn't always work that, man, God told me it was healed. I went home and she's acting foolish. (laughs) It's definitely your fault, dude. It's definitely your fault, bro. You got to, you got to build a bridge in faith. But I do want to say that what you know about God already demands a response. What you already know about God demands a response. Grace Covenant, are we responding? Are we responding to what we know about the faithfulness and the loving kindness of our God? Or are we just on cruise? 
Are we just, just kind of rolling along, going through the motions? Or are we being and becoming a people of faith? Now, what we know about God, now this is, this is really important. What we have to do is we need to make sure that what we know about God is true. We need to make sure that what we know about God is right. And not everything that we know about God we will, will prove to be true in, in 20, 30 years. Not because it's going to be disproven by some talk show host. Not because they're going to discover a skeleton or something and it's going to, the Bible's going to fall apart, but because we don't understand it completely yet. I'm, I'm constantly growing in understanding and I take great solace knowing that the men of faith like who, who are out ahead of me, Pastor Duke Bendix, Pastor Brett, my dad, uh, J.C. Sherrod, Keith Temple, these the, the elders in our church and elders in my life, they, they come back and they're constantly learning about God and they're like, I thought I understood the loving, the love, the loving nature of our God, but I, I understand it more, more deeply and more significantly now than I ever did when I was younger. That gives me hope. And so our understanding about what God does, therefore our actions will change as we mature in Christ. Are you tracking? So we have to commit ourselves and devote ourselves to knowing God and knowing God better. And we know God through his word. We know God through, through moments like this where we're, we're taught and we're, 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 we're brought in on kind of understanding not just the interpretation of what's going on, but also the application of what's going on so that we can begin to apply these things to our life so it can cut on us a little bit and be like, oh, that was convicting. I, I'm just kind of going through the motions. I need to activate my faith. I need to stir the faith that I've already got. And here's the cool thing is we're faithful with what we've already got. God gives us more. And so if all you've got is enough faith to try and learn a little bit more, God will be faithful to help you learn a little bit more. And then it creates this cascading effect as faith grows. And we go from glory to glory to glory as we understand more and more and more. I believe that's why the angels in heaven sing holy, holy, holy. Because they said it once and they were like, I kind of believe it. They said it twice and they're like, I really believe it. They said it three times and they're like, hey, it's worth saying again. And so it is with our relationship with God and knowing him and walking with him. So he and his brother knew enough to give, but one gave a more acceptable, uh, more acceptable sacrifice. Isn't that kind of offensive? We kind of like the version of God where he likes whatever we give him. If we don't, right? like maybe not on the surface, but we really hate the idea that somebody else could give something better than us, especially that person. Wouldn't you be like deeply offended? There are some people in your life that you would be deeply offended if God accepted a sacrifice from them and was more pleased with that than with the one that you gave. And you'd find all kind of reasons to say why yours is better. Right? It's because you're better. Mostly. (laughs) Right? And they're not better. They're worse in basically every way. The nice things they have are garbage. Because they don't even know how to use it right. Right? You, you tracking? You, you're with me? Or maybe it's because you gave a whole lot. Or maybe because yours was shinier. Maybe because you gave a little bit. Like the woman. And you're like, I gave less. And that should be worth more. Because it took more faith for me to give of my less than their more. Because they've got more. They should have given more. I love how we like, we, we like to hack. And we like, we like to hack at Zebo and, and like all the really rich people. You know, Zuckerberg and... Apple and you know everybody we were like oh they don't give any money away <laughs> and I'm better than them <laughs> Did anybody ever heard that commentary going through their own heart I'm having a counseling session today with myself 
there is such a thing. <laughs> well, I guess it's, I'll just, there is such a thing as a bad gift. Anybody ever received a bad gift? Anybody ever given a bad gift? Anybody know it wasn't a bad gift until they, <laughs> until it got opened? <laughs> I would hope that's why. I, I thought I was clever one time. I was going through a phase in my life where I was just lighting things on fire and <laughs> I'm kind of in that phase now. If you know, you're kind of like, you're at that, that used to happen. <laughs> So I used to light things on fire, knives, bacon, explosions, you know, yeah, it was a face. And I thought it'd be really funny to give my dad, I think it was a Father's Day card. Maybe it was a birthday card. Well, I lit it on fire and I put the ashes in an envelope and I said, it's a man card. (laughs) I thought it was funny. I thought it was a great gift. Turned out, based on the disappointment and the head nod, I was like, I whiffed. I definitely whiffed. Note to self, don't give it to my wife on Valentine's Day. Because <laughs> there was definitely a strategy. It was going to be a thing that I did and it was going to be funny. I abandoned that. And I decided to use words that people could actually read. Anyway, so I've given bad gifts. I've been there, done that. So there, are, there is such a thing as a bad gift. And there is such a thing as a good gift. And there is such a thing as a good gift given badly. Oh, we're waking up now. (laughs) Anybody given a good gift badly? Just take it. There's a good gift that we can give badly to God. And I would say based on this statement that by faith, Abel offered. I would say that that's the thing. It's the gift that's not made by faith is the gift that's made badly. What you offered might have been great. But without having engaged your faith, without ever engaging your belief and your expectation and your trust and your hope in God, it's just a thing. It's just going through the motions. Anybody get caught in a conversation and, the, and you don't quite know what's going on and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you say, yeah, and they're like, I asked the question. And you're like, yeah, I was just thinking through it. Could you ask that again? Anybody else? You just get into the motions and you don't even track what's happening anymore. And then it takes something to wake you up to the reality of the fact that you've just been going through the motions. Let today be your wake-up call. Family, if you've just been going through the motions, let today be the what? what? Could you repeat the question? So that we don't just go through the motions in our lives and we don't just go through the motions in our relationships. This gift that he gave was actually more remarkable. And so, so we learn about how it was remarkable in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of the fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. This word regard, this word that's translated as regard means to, to gaze upon. And so what we see is that one of the offerings caused God to gaze upon it. It captured his attention and one captured none of his attention. Thanks to Hebrews illuminating this passage, we know that it's because of the faith that Abel offered with that illuminated the gift to God and caused his gaze to turn upon it, caused his eyes to open on it with pleasure and to go, man, that's a significant gift. That's a good gift given well. 
as opposed to Cain's where God had no regard for it. Now, Cain was so heartbroken by this that he ended up killing his brother. He ended up killing his brother because, because he wanted the same regard from God. And, and instead of changing his attitude, intent, instead of repenting and saying, God, can you teach me how to do this? I don't know how to do it in a way that would please you. Can you show me how to do it so that you can accept it, so that you can gaze upon it, so that you could be pleased with it? Can you, can you teach me this? Because I want to know. Instead of saying that, he got bitter in his heart and he started hating his brother and he started having, he, he started plotting his death and started, started steaming and stewing and reciting and oh, big shot, huh? Giving of the first flock, all the fatty stuff. Well, I'm a farmer. What do you want from me, God? And he started getting angry at God. And he started getting angrier at Abel. And he started getting angry at everybody. Angry at himself. And he ends up killing his brother Abel. Because he couldn't handle Abel catching the heart of God. Instead of letting that stir his heart to capture the heart of God. And so, so we so we see that it's probably not an apologetic that God loves a good barbecue. <laughs> Although I wish it were. I don't think it's because it was even the first of the flock. I don't think it's because it was the fatty. Op- Those are all really important things. And if you go through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you'll see it repeated time and time and time again. He's like, you need to give it the fatty portions. You need to give the first. You need to do this. You need to do this. And because that, that's what's pleasing to me. But somehow Abel stumbled on this thing because he was doing it in faith. So I don't think, I don't think it was that because I, we don't, maybe God said, Hey, I need you to give and I need you to give in this way. And one did it and one didn't. We don't have that information. All we know from scripture is that one was done in faith. So it was remarkable to God. And then, so we see that not only was it remarkable, but now it's even remembered and through his faith, though Abel died, he still speaks. That today, generations and generations later, thousands upon thousands of years, we still remember that this man named Abel gave an offering of faith to God and it was pleasing to him. It captured his gaze. It captured his eyes. It captured his attention. And that's what we have in, in faith when we offer is the opportunity to capture the heart of God. It's not about how much we give or how little we give. Side note, I didn't plan this offering for today because we're taking a building offering. Pastor Brett picked it. He didn't know we were doing a building offering for the skeptic in the group. But if you... <laughs> It's not about how much we give or how little we give. It's not about any of these. It's not about those things, but it's about allowing faith to rise up in our heart. It's about maximizing the faith that we currently do have and giving in accordance with the measure of faith that we currently have in accordance with the measure of resource that we have when we give. Are we willing to give our best like Abel? Are we willing to give in faith like Abel? What is it, family, that you and I can give in our lives so that generations and generations from now, it would be remembered so that it could be passed down that God was faithful to mom and dad. God was faithful to grandma and granddad. God was faithful to great granddad, great grandma. And God was faithful to great, great grand. You see in it? And generation after generation. And they made some decisions that they were going to follow Jesus and they were going to live this life of faith. And because of the life of faith that my great, 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 great grandparents lived, here I am today loving Jesus, walking in the fullness of relationship with him, realizing the purpose of God in my life and changing the world for his glory. That's the opportunity that we have, not just today, but absolutely every single day that we wake up. Now here, let me really blow your mind. In this story, back in Genesis chapter 4, with Cain and Abel, we're not Abel. We're Cain. We're Cain. 
Jesus is the one who gave the perfect offering. Jesus is the one who sacrificed himself. And the sacrifice of himself was so pleasing to God. And we're the ones that have the opportunity to do again. We're the ones who have the opportunity to put our faith, our trust, our hope in Jesus and the sacrifice that he made. And our lives to be transformed and brought to life in Christ, to be forgiven of our sins, to be, to be uh, bearers and porters of hope to the world. That's the opportunity that we have in front of us today. And then as we're renewed, as we're transformed in Christ, then we have the opportunity to give our own sacrifice. The sacrifice of faith, the offering of faith, is given when we're in Jesus, when we belong to him, and we're giving to him what is due to him, according to his loving kindness and good purposes. Amen.